0: This evening, our scripture is Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed, heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son? Today, I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels wins his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool A footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation?
1: Great. Thank you Wayne. The, the passage is reflecting there on who Jesus is and our text that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So a very powerful picture of who Jesus is. Our, our question this afternoon is Jesus divine or human or both and that question is is answered in different ways throughout the world by by different groups and different people different faith and and just to give you some example there is thinking yeah The Baha'i faith, are you familiar with the Baha'is? They try to draw all different religions into one, their one. And they recognize Jesus as a good man. So Jesus for them is human. How about the Buddhists? Buddhists out there in China and India They recognize Jesus. Jesus, great spiritual figure. He's just a man. Great man. Influential. We have here in in North America, we have the Christian Science Movement. And there's a paper, the Christian Science Monitor. And as might be expected, Christian Science has looked at faith a little more scientifically. And Jesus... Great, wonderful, but, of course, he's a man. How how can a human being be God, right? Islam, the Muslim people, they recognize Jesus as a beloved prophet, human being, less than Muhammad even, less than God for sure. The Mormons see Jesus as a person, a human being, but as Jesus is following the instructions of Joseph Smith, he is on his way to becoming a god. Just like we, if we would follow those, would be on our way to becoming gods. Do you know what our Jehovah Witness friends feel about Jesus? Jesus is very much like Hebrews. Jesus is an angel. He is actually the Archangel Michael that the Bible talks about. And so, if you talk about Jesus, you are talking about an angel, Archangel Michael, who came and did things here. So who is Jesus? If you think about the Hindu faith, India, Hinduism, There, they have in their faith many gods. You have Krishna and others, and Jesus is a god, like those gods. So he fits nicely into the sense of many gods, and of course, he was a god who came. How about Tom Cruise's religion? Scientology. Have you heard a bit about Tom Cruise, the actor, right? And he has part of. He is the kind of the spokesperson for Scientology. Again, science. Jesus is a good man. And the New Age movement. The New Age movement. Have you seen John Allen Cameron's movie Avatar? where a person takes on an avatar, a a kind of a different presence. Jesus is an avatar. (laughs) So you watched a movie, and that's how Jesus came. And he saves the world. And so Mr. Cameron brings a vision of who Jesus is, a new age vision. He is an avatar showing us the way to cosmic consciousness. So those are just a few examples. Jesus himself asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And that's a vital question. Who, Who is Jesus? And the response that we as Christians throughout history have given is that Jesus is both God and human. Now, I'm going to just just reflect on that with you, not in any sense explaining it, because it's beyond our understanding. But it is simply biblically what we believe, and it's, it's vitally true, and it's foundational for our faith. And so, we see out of Hebrews, first of all, the, the stress on, on Jesus' divinity because the people whom uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to, very likely they have seen Jesus walking about. It's not that much later in terms of Jesus' life and death. And so the people who receive this letter... They will be able to talk to people or have themselves seen Jesus. What was Jesus? He was human. Yeah, they they understand that because they saw him and they talked to him and they touched him. Yeah, of course. So it wasn't as much a stretch for them to receive that truth but that he was God was the more difficult thing to understand. And so Hebrews 1 is addressing them, diving right in with that great truth, where it says there in Hebrews 1, 1, that Jesus is, that God spoke in the past to our forefathers through the prophets in many and various ways. And in that sense, it, it's, it's bringing into reality that, that human beings spoke by God so the prophets are highlighted and God spoke through them through the Old Testament and in terms of Jesus coming and saying I am a prophet like the Old Testament prophets speaking from God everybody would say absolutely no doubt about it but then Hebrews 1 verse 2 in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, by whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So suddenly, suddenly the the volume gets turned up, as it as as it were. There's there's what what is this this person? What what is it about this person? And so, three things are are added: Jesus is God's Son, capital S implying Jesus is divine. And then declaring that Jesus is is the heir of all things. He has inherited all the things of God, wealth, power, position, influence, fame, glory, honor, and praise, all things that only God deserves. And in that there is the sense of Colossians 2 verse 9 where Paul also says, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So, so there is a, an effort to explain and understand that. And then it, it adds a very clear statement in the sense of Jesus as creator. In Hebrews 1 verse 2, God the creator of the universe so if Jesus is the creator, then Jesus is God. And so these things are presented with, with the, the language of, of who God is, and that is describing Jesus, this person, this, this person who came like a prophet and, and yet who was so much more. And then verse 3 of, of Hebrews 1, that Jesus is the exact, representation of God the radiance of God's glory the full provider of all things the redeemer of this fallen world in fact he's recognized as fully God in the sense that he is sitting down at the right hand of the Father and that that is a position of of divine power glory honor so so right away who is Jesus Hebrews 1, powerfully expressing Jesus as so much greater than anything the people or the prophets of old uh, would have expected. He is the one who is the Son of God, God himself. Now, we might picture the people, uh, the Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, the people are are receiving this this truth and they're trying to understand it and we might picture it even the way it's pictured here in hebrews uh, 12 verse 1 that like like a huge sporting event and in Hebrews 12, verse 1, there is that picture, therefore, since we are surrounded by like a huge stadium of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. It's it's like a modern stadium. And and the picture that the, I, I get from it, too, is that, that if you were in one of these huge stadiums and you were sitting in the nosebleed somewhere, and, and someone, someone comes walking out on the field. And what I like to do if I'm in a state, I like to take my binoculars so you can actually see somebody down there because they are tiny. And then if, if they were to speak, you would never hear. But they just spoke, you would never hear anything. So very small, very insignificant. But when Jesus comes in his life, that that small, insignificant person who is walking around there on the field, that they actually put on the sound system. And then you can hear everything. And that they actually put the face of the person on the jumbotron. And then you can see that there's a sense of greatness and and so that, that sense of Jesus coming as a human being, but then his word, his presence, his place, his power was magnificent, more than anyone could imagine. And so Jesus comes as, in fact, true God, come to be with us. And the author of Hebrews is trying to to show that and allow the people to hear and understand this is who Jesus is. Now, the contrast in that day would have been that sense of the angelic. Jesus was amazing in many ways, and people might have thought that he was an angel. Angels were greater than prophets. And that's why Hebrews turns to angels. And that's even, I think, why the Jehovah Witnesses take angels as an answer. Who is Jesus? He was more than a person. Maybe he was an angel. And so that whole sense of angels is, is quite interesting, even in our day. In the time of the Hebrews, uh, when the Hebrews, letter of Hebrews was written, the people, the Jewish people they understood that God spoke through angels. That's in the, in the Bible. It happened with the Christmas story. And so, so the fact that, that angels are there, people even worshipped angels. In Colossians 2.18, there's a warning. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. There's a warning given. So, so angels are powerful beings. Angels are, are understood by the people of that time as, as real and as ways that God speaks. So, so if Jesus had said, I am an angel, then the people would have believed him. So, oh, you are an angel. Tell us what God wants us to know. But he was, of course, greater than an angel. And so the the sense of Hebrews making the point that Jesus is greater than angels. And so though Gabriel stands in front of the throne of God, which is a lower position, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, higher, greater, true God. And it says that... Angels are not to be worshipped, but here in Hebrews 1, the, the quote, let all God's angels worship him, verse 6. Jesus is greater than angels. So that was a point that had to be clarified. Is Jesus an angel? No. Is he God? Yes. And in our ongoing understanding... That he is both God and human. So that was the working out of of our understanding of who Jesus is. And all the Gospels teach that Jesus is both divine and human. We see his divinity in many ways in the Gospels. You see it as he stills the storm. Only God can do that. He feeds 5,000. Only God can do that. He raises the dead. Only God can do that. And we also see at the very same time that he is human. And there are many examples of that. He is hungry. He is tired. He has to walk from place to place. He is human like we are human. Now we admit it's hard for us to understand. But the basics, we confess that the Bible expresses that he is both God and human equally and so the Athanasian Creed tries to put that together and and it tries to put in words that mystery So, so as far as we can understand that that is who Jesus is now although he is God and human he is not two but one that's that's one little added truth so when you you see in the bible jesus as divine and jesus as human and just one example when in john 11 jesus is told your friend lazarus has died and he goes and he is is with mary and martha And they are are distraught at the death of of Lazarus. And if Jesus had only come sooner, and Jesus comes, and and it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So he he faces that reality of the tragic loss, the tragic death. And in his humanity, he he is a broken man. He he is distraught. Or, Or is he just acting? Is he like he deserves an Oscar for this, because he knows in about two minutes he's going to raise the guy. <laughs> is he schizophrenic? Is he I don't know who I am? Well, he's one. He is completely and, and again, it's it's not for us to to completely understand, but when he weeps he weeps completely as we would weep at the loss of a loved one. And that he turns around and comforts his friends and raises Lazarus is, is absolutely just normally what he does as divine. And, and he is one in that. He's not... Back and forth, it's not that he doesn't remember what he just did or said. He remembers, he knows, he's exactly both all the time. So that the story is not an example of, boy, this is weird, we don't understand, we don't believe in Jesus. No, this is a story of who Jesus really is completely all the time. He's completely with us when, when we struggle, and yet he is completely God. And he intervenes in our lives in tremendous ways. And so he is both. Again, not that we can simply understand it. Somebody has tried to draw a picture of it or put it in a diagram. A single point inside a transparent sphere here. So this is just, yeah, what is Jesus Jesus in his humanity is present in one single spot. But his divinity is, is all around him. And so that he is always human, there's always in his humanity, even right now, Jesus in his humanity, in his physical body, is physically seated in a particular spot at the right hand of God. That's where he is right now. But his his divinity is everywhere always at the same time. So he's completely human, though his, his total divinity is always present. The two are never separated. They are one. So that is... To try to understand what exactly is that. The Heidelberg Catechism tries to express it as well. Christ is truly human and truly God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, he's in heaven. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us for a moment. So the Catechism brings out the comfort. So that reality is what we confess as we take a hold of who Jesus is, as we, we try to grasp the wonder of who he is. Finally, what do we need to do, or how do we need to, or, or why do we need to have this particular understanding of Jesus divine and human? And and the answer is because that's how the Bible presents Jesus, and also because that's how we understand the working of salvation. And so when when we think that Jesus came to die for our sins he has to be completely human to take our place and that's simply a matter of God's justice and that's a matter of human justice too that one who who, who sinned has to carry the burden for sin or the punishment for that sin so if somebody committed a murder here and went to the judge and said oh yeah I'm guilty, throw me in prison and now my dog will do the 30 years for me. say, no, that doesn't work. You have to serve the penalty for your crime. And so Jesus has to be human to satisfy the justice of God, to pay for the sins of human beings. So in that sense, Jesus has to be human. But then on the other side, Jesus carries the sin of the whole world. Like one person can pay for the sin of one person. But how do you pay for the sin of the whole world? Well, that's in his humanity. And in his divinity, I mean. In the greatness of his divinity, he can bear the wrath of God and carry all of our sin. And so, to understand salvation... That Jesus is human, he takes our place. That he's divine, he carries all of our sin. So it's a wonderful comfort to recognize those realities of who Jesus is and that our salvation is through him for he can truly save us. And finally, that, that sense of him uniting heaven and earth. The divine is heaven, the human is earth. And when, when the world was created, God was with us and divine and human we're together and so Jesus represents that that coming together of heaven and earth and so he overcomes the power of sin and restores the relationship with God and even through faith in Jesus already we can pray to God we can trust in God's presence and God's love and so he He brings that unity together which is finally demonstrated in Revelation at 21, in that beautiful final vision, the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man. God is with men. The divine is with the human. The two are together. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. There's a a unity. That's the final goal that's already pictured in Christ. He unites divine and human. And so as we put our faith in him, we too have that glorious hope. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you.